Please be seated. We're beginning a new series called Love Revolution. And here's the good news for all of us this morning is that the change that God makes in our lives and in the world always proceeds from love. This is true in both Testaments. It's true in every change that really takes place. It's an incursion. It's a renewal of the love of God, which is the source of all other love. So I, I want to draw your attention to a text. It's the uh, re uh, establishment, you might say, of what the Old Testament Shema was in Deuteronomy 6, uh, the love the Lord your God chapter. So I'll begin looking at uh, verse 28 in Mark chapter 12. It says, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Then, go ahead and that. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You were right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, to love him with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength is the essence of the law. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. Let's bow again. Father, we pray that you would, as we open this series, focused on the love that changes us, the only thing that really can um, change us and fix us and help us. Um, would you disclose and impart that to us in a lasting way? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I sometimes think that um, advertisers know what changes us even better than sometimes we know in the church. We sometimes can resort to thinking that, well, if we can just change people's information, if we can just give people more information about God, we can change them at their very core. Or even if we can change people in their statement of beliefs, we can change them at their very core. But I would like to submit to you through this series that those answers of changing what people know and even changing what people believe is not as powerful, nor is it the biblical answer for how we change. We don't change by what we know. We don't even change by what we believe, but we change by what we love. Um, we've kind of realized this a little bit in that we're getting our home ready for sale in Doylestown, and boy, it is a, it is a process that my wife deserves all the kudos for, uh, the labors behind it. When you've lived someplace 20 years and then you, move, you get ready to move. So when they have these things, if you've sold a home or you're looking to buy one, uh, these positions called a stager. And this stager is a wonderful person who has sorted out um, what people are looking for in a home. And she explained to us uh, all these things that need to go away. Um, you know, um, family pictures, as handsome and beautiful as our family are, they go away because you're selling the idea that there's a vacancy in this home. It's not occupied. Um, 
Kleenexes, tissues, any evidence that any of the messiness of life, that needs to go away because in this home, no one is ever sick. In fact, no one ever gets the sniffles. Um, all cleaning implements, brooms, mops, dustpans, wipes of any kind, it goes away because this home is self-cleaning. You will never have any dirt. And so you are selling people an idea that they can love. You're selling them something that does not exist. <laughs> Uh, and, but, but you are selling that concept and that, that love. Uh, and so I, I think they know something. Um, uh, I'll confess one of, maybe it's an endearing sin, I don't know. But it's, um, you know, I love this place in X County. I'm going to have to find a replacement here because its name is its marketing tool. It has a very brilliant, complex name. Its name is Yum Yum Donuts. I mean, just the name. I mean, who came up with that? Some genius, right? And uh, I bought a couple dozen for the middle school class. They, they can, you can ask them. They'll tell you about them this morning. But they are these phenomenal donuts. And so they can cause a person who says, I'm committed to fitness to just want to, uh, what does Homer Simpson say? You know, fitness donut in my mouth. That's what I'm into. It's the kind of fitness I'm into. Um, but... Their name markets them. Its slogan or its name is its argument. You really, you don't need an argument for a donut. You just yum yum. That's it. Um, well, the Bible knows something um, before these marketers knew it. And that is that we are made to fall into the arms of someone. Uh, we are not made to live independent lives. It's imp we cannot. We can't live um, self-sufficient, all wrapped up in ourselves' lives. We're made to fall into the arms of someone else. And the good news is, this is what God supplies. In fact, God is the one eager, revealing, making himself known. Uh, but this commandment, the greatest commandment, uh, begins by telling us that the, the first step in the solution is to love. That, now, that's good news. Everything else about God and our response to him needs to flow out of loving him and that it is loving God with our all. This is the commandment um, that is over all the other commandments. Every time you're really obeying from the heart any of the commandments of God, you're obeying this one. And every time you break a commandment of God, you're breaking this one. And I want to look at three things this morning that how um, what you love is the best way to know who you are. You are known by what you love. Um, and that's essence. Um, you, secondly, you and I are being formed by what we love. Our loves are changing us. And the Bible also develops this as a major theme. We're formed by what we love. And then finally, God is the only love that really frees us to be what we are called to be. So, first of all, you're, you're known by what you love. Um, Jesus is a Lord and Savior who is not content to just give us information um, and new tasks to do, but he insists on actually reshaping, reforming, replacing, you might say displacing, other things that we have come to love. This is, this is what God does. And so the commands through the Bible are to love the Lord your God because here's the reality, that we all have this inner narcissism, this 
turning in toward ourselves. It was Augustine who said that we sin is just turning our lives in toward ourselves. And when we love something, it's an outward step of freedom from those loves. So the reality is every if you and I come to love anything or anyone in a righteous way, especially a, another person, we are to some degree... Um, weakening the hold of our inner narcissism. <laughs> and, and people experience this sometimes uh, when they first have a child or, or they first really just really recognize another person for their uniqueness that all of a sudden they find themselves doing all kinds of self-denying acts and they're happy about it. Um, we must give ourselves over to something. Um, the theologian Bruce Springsteen, right? I, I know where we were in Doylestown, there were a lot of Springsteen fans, but like one of his famous melodies is everybody has a hungry heart. Um, this again, Augustine put it this way, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. And, and I love the rejoinder to this that Sinclair Ferguson, I first heard him say, he said, and God's love is restless until his love rests upon his child. And, and Christ's love is restless until not just that it is known, um, but that, that we surrender to it. Uh, this was a point in my own conversion. I was attending a Youth for Christ meeting as a teen, and we were handed four index cards in this meeting, and we were to write our four chief priorities. And of course, I mean, because it was a Youth for Christ meeting and we were meeting in a Methodist church, God got his name on one of the cards, and then I had to think hard. And then it, then it was, okay, my friends, who I was there with. And then I'm like, yeah, my, my family, I do love them. You know? And then I was thinking, the pursuit of music, which was a priority. Uh, and if, if you're a high school student or you have a middle school, high school student, you know that that's in a way, and maybe it starts younger now, where all these pursuits come into your child's life or awareness, and they tell your child, you must make this a top priority right? Um, it might be the athletics department. You must make it a top priority to be the athlete. Or it might be a chemistry class. You must make it a top priority to study chemistry. All these like top priorities saying this is ultimate, ultimate, ultimate. And usually we gravitate toward one and we try to manage the others, which is actually just common sense, by the way, <laughs> right? Not every child's going to be the athlete or the intellect or uh, into the aesthetics and the arts, and so there's, there's choices. But the problem with those things is all those other things other than God, <laughs> um, while they make very good servants, God is good in creation to give us so many things to explore and, and to try our gifts at and, and to delight in. But we, if we make them ultimate things, they are very bad masters. Um, I was beginning to find out at that point that music was a wonderful servant to enjoy, but it was a horrible master. Uh, and... I'm thankful, actually, I didn't have the natural either genetic talent or breakthrough or whatever to actually, because what we find often is when, when someone succeeds in one of those areas, uh, artistry, um, it could be uh, fame or fortune or some endeavor, it's often when the person succeeds in them that they discover <laughs> that, it, that 
that thing that is a functional God has made demands and those demands are so rigid that even when they're met, they're, they, they take an unforgiving toll on us. Well, I found out in that we had to lay those cards down one at a time. And, and again, I did not want to lay God down, but, but, but I didn't want to lay music down. And they said, nobody's going to know. And I, it was at that point where I said, look, functionally, I think I could probably live without God easier than living without my music. So he went down first. And let me just tell you, that was a point of reality for me. And we're going to come back to that in a minute, but it led, it led me, it set me up to some reality and honesty for my conversion. So, so here's just the first point. You and I are known by what we love. I'll give you a couple other verses about that. Um, uh, in uh, 2 Timothy 4.8, it describes the second coming as the time when the crown of righteousness is given, and he will award that crown of righteousness, uh, Paul says, not only to me, but also to all who not believed in, not who knew about, but he says, all of those who loved his appearing. Uh, in 2 Thessalonians 2.10, he describes salvation this way. He describes that they had a turning point toward God in their life uh, because they came to love the truth and so be saved. And we're, we're known by our loves. Now, here's, here's the scary thing. We often, don't, we often fool ourselves about what we really love. Um, there was this uh, movie called Stalker. It's kind of a, an obscure movie with a small cast, but the theme of it was they all wanted to get the guide to take them to the zone. And the zone was a place of, of kind of um, dystopian um, ruin with one magical room that was they creatively called this, this magical room, the room. <laughs> so uh, in the room, if you entered the room that was your, your doorway to paradise. There was a chair in the room, and when you sat in that chair, everything you desired would be granted. And so, at kind of the pinnacle of the movie, they all get into the zone and into the room, and nobody wants to sit in the chair. Because it finally struck them, this chair is going to read them perfectly accurately. It's not going to be what they think they want, but it's going to be actually what they want. Now, it doesn't develop it, but I, I imagine how frightening that might be. A, 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 a room with a throne where my desires will be activated. Whatever's off in those desires, it'll be activated. I mean, if I have ill will toward anyone, they're going to become ill, right? They, they might be murdered. Uh, wiped off the earth. If, if I have a self-centered will, maybe it's that my children's lives or even my wife's life revolves just around me. That could take place. Or uh, for a pastor, that the church actually exists for a pastor's comfort or for a pastor to feel necessary or a pastor to feel important. That's a scary thing. Uh, that it, it can twist and turn. And so nobody wanted to to sit in that chair because their, their desires were really going to be known. Their loves were going to be made known. And our loves can sometimes be very, can be damaging, absorbing of others into roles and, and places that they are not meant to play. Uh, and so we're known, we're known by our loves and there is, there is one love that truly can lift us to the right. 
and godly place. Um, C.S. Lewis put it this way, and I I love this quote. He says, um, there is one love. He says, to love as you and I should, I must worship God in his place. And he writes this, he says, when I have learned to love God better than my earthly dearest, I shall love my earthly dearest better than I do now. But insofar as I learn to love my earthly dearest at the expense of God and instead of God, I shall be moving toward the state in which I do not love my earthly dearest at all. So in other words, when, when a person is married to someone, they're both non-Christians, and one of them becomes a follower of Christ, which is basically saying, I want Jesus to be in the most important place. It can sometimes strike fear in the heart of the other person to say, well, wow, am I going to get less? Am I going to get less love? And what Lewis is saying, no, if God rightly is in that rightful place, that person is going to be loved more rightly, more fully than they ever could have been before. And Lewis writes this masterful word. He says, when first things are put first, second things are not suppressed, but they are actually increased. Now, there is only one love that does that. (laughs) And that's the ultimate love of God. 1 Peter 1 puts it this way. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is an inexpressible and glorious joy, all driven by love. So, um, again, we're known by what we love, and I just want to ask you this. Are your loves driving you into an inexpressible and glorious joy? Are the things that you love enabling you, are they putting, the things that you ultimately love, are, are they driving you to love everything else better in its place? Because here's the reality. You and I are being formed by our loves. What we love has the power to either elevate us or degrade us. And, and again, only, only God in his rightful place really can elevate us. Uh, the novelist who I think I, I most appreciate, for she's a Pulitzer Prize winning novelist, and she also is a very decided Christian, and she's in the public sphere and I just, every time they hand her the mic to talk about Christianity or the public or whatever, I'm just like, good, go for it. And her name is Marilyn Robinson. Maybe some of you have read some of her books, Gilead and Homegoing. And she has a new novel out called Jack. And she was just interviewed, and, and she said in this interview that the, a teacher, when she was young, said this to her. They said, Marilyn, you're going to have to live with your mind your whole life. So make sure you build your mind so that you're actually going to want to live with it. Um, And she said this, she says, that made such an impression upon her at a young life. Because she knows we store the consequences of the things we give our attention to for a very long time. They put ruts in the brain and they affect our capacity, our capacity for wonder, for willingness, for others. And so, again, when we love, love is this powerful thing, but when we love God, again, that begins to weaken all the things that are stray effects on our life. And again, whenever we love anyone, insofar as we allow that love to move us towards sacrificial love, it it humanizes us. Um, And there are certain practices that can dehumanize us or can weaken our response of love. If, if we are always served, we, and, and so much is set up in our world to make us consumers. I mean, there, 
Uh, I think all of us in this pandemic have learned um, the quickness of Amazon, right? And, and sometimes just the lift, I mean, I don't think I really knew what retail therapy was because I don't like to shop in stores. But like there is a kind of joy that comes from being able to sit uh, in my easy chair with my laptop and to begin to think about things I want and need. And with a press of a button, within seconds, there's an email in my box saying, it's on the way. And this fits the narrative that I want to believe, and that is that life is a story about me and everything else exists so that with a push of a button, it can come to me. Uh, it, it's just like sometimes I've felt when I've been away and I have enjoyed, at least I think it is such a luxurious thing, and I'm not, I, I want you to enjoy it, not feel guilty, but I want you to enjoy it when it happens. But it is a luxurious thing to be able to sit at a table, receive a menu, ask someone to bring it to you, and they fix it, prepare it, plate it, set it on the table, and even take it away and clean it up when done. It just, you know, most of the world that lives hand to mouth can't enjoy that. So don't feel guilty, but realize this is not really the way the universe works. Because there was a part of us, just like every year on my birthday, when I choose the menu and the cake and all the loved ones are there and they're all paying attention to me and they're saying, it's your day. I'm kind of like, this is how every day ought to be. <laughs> this is the way it always ought to work. And there, there is the need for us to unwind all of those forces. Because again, everybody who's trying to sell us something, whether it be a donut or a house it is selling us that message and there is there is this dangerous gap between what will really be the love that that serves us and the loves that we give ourselves to and in worship what we're supposed to be doing worship is a place where we come face to face with god and we acknowledge that gap, we begin to onboard ourselves to the love that can really drive out and displace the other loves. Um, worship is really, in a sense, transferring worth from other things that have grabbed our attention to the, to the only one who is really worthy of our wholehearted attention. That's why this command, by the way, unabashedly says, love God with your all. Um, there's no other command. There's no other safe place for that. Um, the other commands for love, and we're going to look at them, are to love our neighbor as we love ourself. You know, as I already am lenient, gracious, kind to myself, attentive to myself, I'm to love my neighbor. Or we're to love the church as Christ loved the church, giving himself up for her. But this, this command says, in all the resources, love the Lord your God with your absolute all with all your mind, all your heart, all your strength, all your soul, all of your faculties, that's the one place that when you do that, you will not be diminished and nothing that is off in us will be elevated or enlivened. Only that which is pure and great will increase in us. And it is also then the place where we can be honest that we don't function that way. <laughs> We're not loving God with our all. And so worship is the place where we deal with the gap, like the, the songs spoke of songs of repentance that we sang right before the sermon. That repentance is this freeing ability to rethink reality from the ground up, from the good ground up, from what God wants to do in our lives 
and to fall in love not only with God, but to fall in love with God's reflection in us. It's kind of like the, the conversation that most counselors want to have with a counselee when they get to know them. Basically, a, a good counselor will say, okay, I'm, I'm counseling someone. They'll say, but I know there are two people here. <laughs> There's the person that everybody meets that maybe takes two or six or ten to, to get to know. And then there's the person that nobody else meets, the self that is never disclosed. And a good counselor says, I'd like to get that person to come out from behind the glittering image and set down this appalling burden that can torment us, uh, not to just bring it out and vent it. No, 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 no. Not to bring it out and, and be locked into shame. No, no, but to bring it out before the presence of a God who can really heal it. There's, there's what I see a kind of unusual call to worship in Isaiah 29, 13, where God says, these people draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And he's, it's in a sense saying, not they shouldn't take these words on my lips, but they should let what they're saying in their lips descend to their hearts. This is the, the biblical practice of confession, of honesty. <laughs> Church can be one of the, the easiest places to hide from God if we're not honest. And so this is where our loves actually become apparent and we, we seek the love that can really come and change us. And this, this happens in worship. It's why we, we evaluate the words of the songs not based on whether we say, yeah, that describes exactly how I felt all week. <laughs> if that were true, then they'd not be very good words or we'd not be very honest people. What happens is that we take words upon our lips that describe the way that God has built us, the way that we aspire to, the way that we want him to lift us up and into. That, that, that's the essence of, of reframing our life. And, and so worship is basically transferring are the worthiness of other things in, to the one God who is, who is fully uh, worthy. And that is the one thing that can transform us. You know, every other pursuit other than God, if we put it on a throne, it will make demands of us, whether it's career. If, it's, if we say, I'm going to put career on the throne, you know what happens? If we put that on the throne, it makes demands, and all of a sudden, we are eaten up with concern about career. Or if we make an idol out of wealth and wealth is the one thing that we are really pursuing and that is in the driving seat of a person's life and you don't actually even have to have a lot of money to make it the driving seat of your life but if that is a driver's seat it makes all kinds of demands where you are insecure about wealth or if you make beauty the most you know important thing in your life then you become insecure about losing beauty or if you make youth an idol you become insecure about that and certainly that's lost quickly or if you make intellect and looking smart and and being on the cutting edge in the driver's seat then you are worried all the time about not looking like you understand the world or looking stupid and you trace our insecurities and often they will lead us whatever we're insecure about will lead us to something seated on a throne but here's the thing about when you place Jesus Christ on the throne, the one who is perfectly pure, the one who never had even an inkling or a thought or a motivation that was the least askew, and you put uh, the one ideal in all ideals upon the throne, what you see is that that's when, yes, there are demands if we're going to see that pulled into our lives, but the one on that throne doesn't say sacrifice for me, but he says, I have sacrificed all 
for you. And it's when we see that in the gospel, when we see that this is the God who is actually the reason he's safe to give your all to is because he is the one person who is absolutely um, always knowing what is the right thing for us, always knowing what is the best thing for you, but he is also the one who has been willing to pay the ultimate price for it. And that is the gospel transformation effect. Uh, John Newton wrote it this way. He said that when you look upon Christ, it's a little rhyming uh, verse. He said, to see the law by love fulfilled and hear his pardoning voice transforms the slave into a child and makes the law his choice. That all of a sudden, when we see Christ in his beauty, it's, it's by gaining a vision and seeing him for what he is. And so this is what transforms us. Knowing the Bible is wonderful and good. It gives you fuel. Coming to believe it and say, this is what I believe, is, is excellent. It's the pathway of faith. But when we see it not just as right information, or when we see the Bible not as something that is dutiful, but when we see it proclaiming the one who is beautiful, that's when we are actually changed at the inner core, not just from people who want to do something out of duty, but something that uh, people who actually have been changed to want that, to long for it. Where, where we can say with the writer of Psalm 27, when he says, Lord, you have said, seek my face, and my heart says to you, my my face, O oh Lord, I will seek. Uh, again, a lot of the poets who were spiritual, they, they knew this. Uh, George Herbert wrote this. He said, um, make me a captive, Lord, for then I shall be free. Force me to render up my sword and worship only thee. He said, I, unless you enthrall me, never shall be free and never chaste unless you ravish me. Another poet put it this way. He said, my pleasure and my duty, two things that are often separated. He said, my pleasure and my duty, though opposite before, since we have seen his beauty, are joined apart no more. And you see, there is a room that reveals our desires, but the throne and the chair in that room is occupied. And it is occupied by Christ, by the one who exchanged his beauty and substituted it for all of the places where we admired his beauty, where he gave up his satisfying enjoyment of the glory of God to actually even endure human thirst and identify us in our thirst and to bear the penalty for where we fell. And it's, it's there when we see him in that beauty, this is the place where our desires are changed. And one day the Bible tells us we will actually see him and that the sight will be transforming until then. This is how 2 Corinthians 3.16 puts it. It says that we with unveiled faces are gazing upon the beauty of the Lord and as we gaze upon Jesus, we are transformed by the Spirit from one degree of glory to the next. So this is the place where our desires are not turned into duties or demands, but we meet the one who fulfilled all the duties and all of the demands out of love. 
And when we see him in his beauty, that beauty is infused in us. This is what it means to begin to love God. This is what it means to be transformed from the inside out. Have you brought those other desires, the other driving forces of your life, and really questioned them and evaluated them and come to the place of letting Jesus dispel them and disrupt them and displace them with something far, far better, with that which you were built for. You were built not to pursue whatever you decide to love and then you'll be happy. That's a lie! (laughs) You were actually built for one enduring love that is to be known. And it's that love, love the Lord your God with your all, with all your heart, all your strength, all your mind, all your soul. That's the place of transformation. Jesus died to forgive us where it isn't there. But he also died to show us the will of the one who can bring these things into his fact. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this command. We pray for us over these weeks as we look at the power of your, of your love, Lord, that we have been built for. That we might give ourselves to you and that you might transform us, Lord, as we're honest before you into a people who truly love what you love for us, will what you will for us. We ask, God, that you would mark us with these things. To know you is the greatest privilege. To find you, Lord, sets our life on a glorious adventure. To walk with you, Lord, uh, is the greatest advancement we can make. May you pour those things into our life in Jesus' name. Amen. This time we invite you guys to stand and join us in song. And it's all about you 
It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. And it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. of endless worth, the king of endless worth, no one could express how much you deserve, though I'm weak and poor, and all I have is yours, and every single breath. bring you more than a song for a song in itself is not what you have required you search much deeper within through the way things appear you're looking into my heart and I'm coming back to the heart of worship and it's all about you it's all about you Jesus I'm sorry Lord for the thing I've made it cause it's all about you it's all about you Jesus I'm coming back to the heart of worship and it's all about you it's all about you Jesus I'm sorry Lord for the thing I've made it cause it's all about you it's all about you Jesus I'm coming back to I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it, cause it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. The good news we leave with is that the God who loves us sends us out, uh, not auditioning to be his children, but having received his grace and to live that out and make it known where we live, work, and play. I want to pronounce a benediction over you all from 1 Thessalonians 5. Uh, lift up your hearts and receive this from your God. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you through and through, body, soul, and spirit. May it be kept sound. May your body, soul, and spirit be kept sound and blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and he will bring it to pass through Christ our Lord. Amen. I'm